What's up, guys? How are we all doing? This is Fitter Food Radio, episode number 66. And of course, it's me, Matt Whitmore, and I'm here with... Keris Marsden. Guys, um, we've got a cracking guest on the show today. I know I always say that, but um, I'm hardly going to say we've got a god-awful guest on the show today. <laughs> um, but this is actually someone who came to well he didn't come to us we just kind of virtually met um through good old dr tommy wood of course been on the fit of food radio podcast a few times now um he presented at the fit of food academy recently and he's actually got a, a pretty big fit of food following old dr tommy wood isn't he, he not that he is old i don't know why i just keep saying old <laughs> dr tommy wood um he's actually quite a strapping man isn't he um but guys what you want to tell me <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's no, there's no, there's no bromance. Not yet, anyway. We've only met once. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but guys, we have got Christopher Kelly on the episode today, who is a pro mountain biker, which is pretty impressive in itself. And he's also a computer scientist. And you might be thinking, well, why is a pro bi- mountain biker and a computer scientist on a Fit Food Radio podcast? Well, um, I'm going to let you let him tell you why uh, you should be listening to him. So, first of all, Chris. Thank you so much for coming on the uh, on the podcast. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. And um, don't let the British accent fool you. He's actually now living in San Francisco. The the lucky bugger. Um, no, not so- quite. It's, it's close. It's I'm, I'm actually in because of a mountain bike. You see, like the mountain bike in San Francisco is not quite perfect. You have to go a little bit further south to Santa Cruz um, into the redwoods where the trails are totally perfect and yeah that's where i live now Amazing. wow <laughs> is that why is it you just moved there specifically for that for mountain biking yeah so um i was working as a um a software engineer at a quantitative hedge fund in walnut creek which is not far from san francisco until about two years ago and uh, then i quit that job um to start nourish balance thrive which is a functional medicine practice and uh quitting that job I mean, it didn't happen straight away but one of the things that enabled me to do was was move to uh santa cruz where the trails are much nicer. <laughs> so, Chris, why should our um, our fit of foodies uh, listen to a, a pro mountain biker like yourself? You've got a nice accent. Well. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you? How I sell in the US. It's just the accent, purely on the accent. Yeah, I was going nice. to say. But... It... <laughs> I've always That's thought joke, so... it's it's quite amazing how far the British accent gets you in America. I yeah. always thought it was this kind of like stereotype that was just in these cheesy rom coms films that you see but then when you go there and you're like actually hold on a minute (laughs) you know i I could do something with this yeah no it's true you think it's a joke and then you see you know like car commercials and insurance commercials where they try and use the british accent as authority for selling and it is quite (laughs) surreal but yeah no i didn't i kind of got into this um functional medicine thing um out of necessity really i was um I've never, my health has never been that great, if I'm honest. Like when I look back at my days when I lived in London, uh, the types of foods I was eating probably weren't working all that well for me. Um, and I was working for Yahoo, you've almost certainly heard of, yeah. um, in, in London. And they moved me out to uh, Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, my health went downhill pretty quickly uh, once I made that move. And, and I'm sure it's something to do with the food here in the US. I don't know if you've ever been to America and seen the food. It's not. It's not like great, I don't think. I think it, it's, it, what's always struck us about the food over there is you can either be really, really healthy or absolutely horrendous. And if you don't yeah. know anything, like the temptation is just another yeah. another level, isn't it? I mean, I was going to say, like, I've, I mean, we've 
we've been to the states quite a few times haven't we and um been to different parts of america and and i think like kerry said like you if you've got the right head on your shoulders and you know you can make some really smart choices but then again i, I mean i don't know we've never been to like california or anywhere like that i don't know what it's like there but it always i mean it strikes me as a, a healthier place compared to some others but whereas new york is very much 50 50 you can either be really bad but then equally you have got a lot of healthier like healthier establishments like nearby if you know what i mean yeah that's what i was expecting as well i was expecting baywatch i was expecting <laughs> you know ripped muscle like kind of bodybuilders skating backwards along the beach with their rollerblades and all that <laughs> but no that's not really what i found i worked for um you know these big companies in silicon valley they all have uh, cafeterias on site. Yeah. So you can basically have whatever you want. And, um, you know, a lot of the companies, especially the big ones like Apple, they now have, like, paleo bars. And this is wow. kind of a more recent okay. occurrence, whereas I'm talking about 10 years ago. Um, but, yeah, there's kind of every food imaginable all there, and you can just choose whatever you want. And, of course, you just choose the things which are most palatable, right, when you don't know or care because, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you're fairly active and you're pretty skinny and you've just turned up from another country. You're just going to choose whatever you you think looks best and um yeah i found that my health kind of went downhill very rapidly and um you know at the same time because there's so many people into biking around here i kind of got slightly competitive with it in a way that i probably wasn't in london yeah and i uh, got into the mountain bike racing and there was kind of I, mean, I think these two things it was like the perfect storm that came together you know the a ton of endurance training plus uh, not very fit food and uh you know soon i found myself super tired um unable to sleep brain fog my libido just totally disappeared completely. I just wasn't thinking about girls at all. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just t tons of GI symptoms, like really bloated. And uh, yeah, I went to the, the doctor here. So I had to, you know, private health insurance that comes with the job. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, I'm going to have a fantastic experience. It's going to be you know, brilliant. And I went to the doctor and the doctor really had no clue whatsoever. They just, they just want to write you prescriptions and um, not really figure out what's going on. And um, the one thing he did do was send me to a gastroenterologist because I had GI complaints. And uh, the gastroenterologist wasn't e interested in what I was eating whatsoever. Wow. And uh, at that time, I kind of, I got lucky in that I, I met the woman who's now my wife, who's a food scientist. And she just spent a ton of time in the lab studying uh, allergies and uh, in particular to dairy. And uh, she said, uh, well, this gastroenterologist, they're probably an idiot. And uh, <laughs> you should probably try changing your diet before you try uh, anti-inflammatory steroid drugs and surgery. That seems like a pretty sensible thing to do, don't you think? And, and uh, that was kind of what led us into uh, the paleo diet, um, the autoimmune protocol that you probably heard of was very helpful for me. Um, if anybody's, you know, really, really suffering on still on paleo, then then that kind of slightly stricter subset of paleo can be really helpful, I think. And and then that kind of got me, that got me most of the way there, I'd say. Like I was feeling a lot better, uh, but still I had some kind of lingering complaints. And then my my interest had really been peaked. You know, I was like, okay, so what else is possible here? And I, you know, I started listening to tons and tons of podcasts and eventually discovered this functional medicine thing and, and, and found someone that would run some tests on me. And uh, the tests they ran on me are the tests that I still use every day today in our practice. I'm, I'm partnered with a, a, a medical doctor and Tommy as well. Tommy looks at test results with me. And um, yeah, found all the same problems that I find on all the results, which is um, messed up hormones, sex hormones, low cortisol, low testosterone. Uh, for the women, it tends to be low progesterone and low estrogen. And then, you know, on the GI test, the stool test, I found uh, an amoebic infection. I found a uh, pinworm. I found uh, yeast overgrowth. And uh, then on the urinary organic acids, I found all kinds of weird uh, biochemical <laughs> problems that I was able to, to sort out with. And uh, 
then I guess the kind of the, the result has been me, you know, being able to take the athletic performance to the next level and upgrade and get my pro license. And just the experience has been so amazing. That's what prompted me to quit my job at the hedge fund and, and start a new business. That's awesome. That's, that's amazing. I think that's how um, quite a lot of people do end up um, either in nutritional therapy or functional medicine. It's almost like they, they have their own series and it's always gut problems because they take so much digging. <laughs> I think that you get really interested, you get really into the testing side and you have to run so many protocols on yourself um, and then usually you do it on your family and friends as well <laughs> they, they get roped in and the one thing I was going to ask yeah did, that's kind of how it started did, did you actually get did anyone mention the exercise side of things like the gastroenterologist or did you actually have to take a break <laughs> or or just scale it back a little bit when you were sorting yourself out heck no no the doctors <laughs> are not interested in that they're not they don't know anything apart from the prescription pad yeah, yeah. they really don't it's, 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 it is actually still embarrassing I went to see a primary care physician um, two weeks ago because I wanted to get some blood work paid for by my insurance I pay so when you when you don't have a job when you work for yourself you have to pay for your insurance out of pocket and it is for me it's $600 a month and um, that's wow. quite cheap some people pay a that's lot quite more. cheap yeah some people it's quite common for people to be paying a thousand wow oh my um, gosh. and uh, yeah so it's because I run my own business and don't don't make you know, it's not a very profitable business at the moment we have lots of clients <laughs> very much profit so um, <laughs> they don't charge me very much for insurance um, yeah I went to see a primary care physician last week now, one of them to run some blood work and he pulled open his desk drawer, pulled out a reflex hammer and he tested my reflexes and he said, no, there's nothing wrong with it. You don't need to do a thyroid panel because uh, I would see it in the reflexes. And I'm wow. like, are you kidding? Wow. This is unbelievable. And um, yeah, so they're just, I mean, I think the standard of care at the, the primary primary care physician level here in the US is pretty poor. And I'm sure there's some exceptions to that, some, some, some really noticeable exceptions, but for the most part, it's pretty bad. And they're definitely not going to ask you anything about your lifestyle. They're not going to ask you about how much stress you're under or whether maybe you're, yeah. um, you know, overtraining on, on the bike. They wouldn't even know what overtraining is. You know, when, when you've got someone that's pretty sedentary themselves, they don't really have an, you know, a comprehension of what overtraining is. And why would they? It's not part of their education. They're not, yeah. they're not really required to know that to do their job. Yeah, and I was going to say, we get um, really similar uh, experiences in the UK. But the one thing we'll say is about 15 years ago when I first had, I was a big runner and I first got IBS symptoms, I went to a GP and he said to me, try a gluten and dairy-free diet and a, a couple of weeks off running and manage stress a bit better. He's the only person, because I've been back since for various things. So one doctor in, in the whole of my health history said this to me. But <laughs> I said to him, to give up running would be the most stressful thing you could ask me to do. So I'm not <laughs> going to do that. <laughs> so I'll give up the gluten and dairy first. But then I swapped in all the gluten-free stuff, which was even worse for me. So it didn't really get me very far. But yeah. Right. And yeah. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's a good idea. That, that doctor actually summarized um, the things that I've seen work best um, in a, a very few words, right? So no wheat, no dairy, uh, don't over-exercise. But, you know, the people I work with, one of the reasons they come to me is for the, exactly this reason, is they don't really want to stop doing what they love. And um, I can't really tell them to stop because I didn't. Like When I went through all this, you know, I was taking a ton of supplements to get rid of these uh, bacterial and yeast overgrowth and the pinworm and, um, you know, whatever else was going on. And uh, I just kept taking those supplements uh, right through my regular training program. And I was actually uh, competing in a seven-day stage race in Canada on my mountain wow. bike whilst taking, like, fistfuls of supplements. Um, <laughs> and it incredible. worked out just fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, sell that to anyone saying, what do you need to do to get better? I, it's more like kind of, I got better in spite of this. So I know it's possible. But Chris, so just to recap, you, uh, you, you moved to the States always been keen on the mountain biking and until you kind of started to run into some some real trouble no real interest in nutrition or anything like that at all 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's common, isn't it? I mean, it's like something, you only start to really care about something when it's your problem. And and that's just kind of, that's just the way the human brain works, right? I mean, you you think about it, you're walking down the street and you're looking at um, pretty girls and uh, shop windows and maybe cars driving by. And then suddenly there's dog poo in front of you and you're about to step in it. Like nothing else in the world matters, right? You've become completely fixated <laughs> on the dog poo that's right in front of you. And then you're going to do anything to prevent yourself from stepping in it. And, and that's kind of how, that's just how the human brain works. Did, did you make that one so, yeah, yourself kind of... or <laughs> did, did you find that one somewhere? <laughs> but... No, yeah, so I, 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 I just kind of realised now with hindsight that that's kind of how the... That's just how the, how humans work, and so trying to explain this stuff to somebody that's never had any problems is yeah. they just look at you like you've got two heads, and like why would you give up a job at a hedge fund as a computer programmer? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Oh no, but I, like you said, I just think it's the way things work, and if anything, you know, it's it's, it's opportunities like that when you're like, well, actually, I need to look at this. You know, everything happens for a reason. So in a way, you know, whilst it was probably not very nice you going through what you did, in a way it's kind of put you onto a a completely different path now that, you know, I'd like to think that you're incredibly passionate about and you very much enjoy. So, you know, good things, good things came out of it, right? Oh, I mean, no question. And it's not coincidence. So, you know, I I kind of had a a string of kind of failed relationships, I suppose, before... um, before I met the, the woman who's now my wife. And um, it's not a coincidence that when I went through this, they kind of changed my personality and ended up getting married and uh, having a baby. And uh, my daughter Ivy's now two, and uh, she's never been to a doctor. She's never had anything wrong with her and had even a, a nappy rash. And that's just the polar opposite of, of my experience as, a, as an infant of that age. And um, I'm sure it's to do with uh, the food that we're eating. And um, I mean, what else? I mean, two-year-olds don't get stressed out, right? They don't have a problem with their commute and they're not overtraining. So, I mean, <laughs> not yet. the food has got to be the most important part. Well, that's that's brilliant, mate. I mean, what, what I was going to ask you, though, was... Because you mentioned that you were you were training a hell of a lot, um, you know, with your, with your cycling, etc. And and we were kind of chatting briefly before the we pressed the record button, and we kind of discussed like stress, overtraining, etc. And we often run into these kind of problems uh, with a lot of our clients who are somewhat, let's say, quite addicted to exercise. You know, it might not be like yourself where it's a specialist sport. People just, you know, if they've had a bad day at work, they want to kick their ass in the gym. If they've binged, drink and ate at the weekend, they want to kick their ass in the gym. Or they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hooked to that endorphin rush and they're, they're probably training every day, sometimes twice a day, whatever it might be. And we do need to work really hard to get them to kind of reassess and try and rein it in a little bit. But what would you class as, as overtraining in that, you know, I, I, I mean, for someone who does a seven-day stage race or <laughs> whatever, I, in my head I'm just like, wow, like I can't even imagine the kind of preparation that must go into that. So what kind of training were you doing at this time where – everything kind of just went crazy for you and you're like wow i really need to do something here yeah i guess i became yeah exactly what you just said (laughs) slightly obsessed with it uh slightly addicted to it you know if you're not feeling good you know if you did one of these hormone tests and you saw low cortisol well cortisol is a catabolic hormone that breaks down energy and uh it makes it feels good like when you have energy like that and so um getting out on the bike you know you feel like death for the first 20 minutes or maybe (laughs) the first hour i think it was probably fair to say with me and then first hour hour, i'm normally finishing up by then (laughs) 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 yeah so i was doing you know 25 maybe 30 hours on the bike and then trying to do strength training on top of that although i eventually stopped strength training because it didn't do anything like when you're that catabolic and 
you're that messed up. Like, you just don't get an anabolic response to, to strength training. It just makes you sore, and then you stay sore. Uh, so I, I stopped that in the end. <laughs> but, yeah, that, I wouldn't recommend doing that either. Like, you're probably better to figure out what's going on there. But, um, yeah, so so 25 hours a week to answer your question. How, like, how the hell training. did you wow. have a full-time job? <laughs> yeah, so that was the nice thing about the job at the hedge fund. It was the lowest stress you know, not pretty short hours. You know, I typically only spend about six um, hours in the office every day. Um, and so I'd start super early in the morning and then I'd leave the office at one o'clock in the afternoon and then I'd just go ride my road bike for four hours every day. Um, wow. So, yeah, and then there was nothing to think about when I got home. I, mean, I just cannot imagine thinking about work, you know, after work. Whereas now, I, like, my main problem is just rumination. I'm just constantly thinking about people's test results and I don't I even get into that. But just, you know what I mean? And you can't shut your brain off. It's like a... It's the total opposite of what I have before. I was going to ask if that has changed because when I see when I see a lot of um, people who've moved into this industry out of full time work and you know running a business, it becomes your life, um, and you soon find that your own health starts to suffer again, and you've you've not got as much time to train. And like you just said, you take home your clients' cases sometimes, and you you sit and think about them at home, and I sometimes think about them on lying in bed, very sad. But um, I just wonder if you see, do you find that you're you you have to constantly sort of fix yourself again and again or you do you have like a maintenance you know prescription of supplements and things that you now do to look after yourself yeah i think that's pretty fair to say i live like a monk as well (laughs) (laughs) i really do i don't i don't so i I don't have good experiences eating out like that just never ends well very for me i mean if it's a really posh restaurant in san francisco then it's much better and i actually did that i presented a conference um last week or actually two weeks ago um to a bunch of other software developers 100 software developers so we were staying in a fancy hotel and we ate in fancy restaurants and i had no problems whatsoever but if i go and eat you know the local taco bar or something down the road that's just for me so yeah i don't i don't really go out much um unless it's to kind of just to train or be with my you know my wife and my kids and stuff and um yeah i do i still do a lot of testing an awful lot of testing actually and i do fix the problems so some people would accuse me of like treating test results you know like chasing numbers yeah um but for someone like me who spent 30 years feeling like crap I don't even know. I mean, I have a much better idea now, but certainly five years ago, I had no idea what normal was. I didn't know what a normal amount of energy was. I didn't know what a normal sex drive was. And so I've had really great results uh, fixing the problems that I find on, say, an organic acids test that I know that you know, right? You do one of those tests, you find a problem, you take a supplement, you fix that problem, you redo the test, you see that you fixed it. And uh, sure enough, you notice something unusual. You're sleeping better through the night. That training run or ride or swim or whatever it is that used to really wipe you out, it doesn't even feel pretty good. And you feel like you go on doing some reading or play with your kid or something else. So, yeah, I I keep doing tests. I keep fixing the problems that I find. Sorry to interrupt you, buddy. Could you, uh, just for our listeners, if you could explain um, what an organic acids test is, that would be awesome. So what's what's the test looking for? So this is a, uh, sorry, I use tons of words that people, like, how would you ever know what an organic acids test is? And I'm really very guilty of this quite often. No, we, we do the same, so it's, it's helpful for you to explain it. <laughs> so an organic acids test, it's a urine test. So the way the test works is you just collect a sample of urine first thing in the morning, and then you freeze it, and then you send it into the lab. The lab um, is super clever. A lot of doctors I talk to, they can't believe that this test is a commercial reality, but it is. Um, and they measure... 46 different organic acids. So organic acids are just uh, metabolites that are can be measured in the urine sample. And so the way to think about this is, um, imagine there was a river flowing and uh, something were to come along and block the flow in the, in the river. So say a beaver built a dam or something, and then you start to see uh, water pool behind uh, that the beaver has built. 
Well, that's kind of the way that the organic acids work. You look for an elevation of um, adipate, say, and adipate is the name of an organic acid, and that tells you about your ability to uh, oxidize fat as fuel. Um, and, it, and it hints at the fact that you might have a, a carnitine deficiency, say, and you can take carnitine as a supplement. Um, so it's a way of getting a window inside of your body, see what's going on with the biochemistry, and then that allows you to make either diet or lifestyle or supplement changes that you can you can do to improve your biochemistry. That's awesome. And I think um, what's quite cool about it is often it's it's very simple. Some of the things you need, it's literally just a few B vitamins, isn't it? A bit of vitamin C that the test will actually tell you generally what supplements you might need just to bump up things like you know dopamine, for example, or adrenaline, some of the neurotransmitters that help you get up and go out on your exercise bike or whatever you want to do that day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's, that's what's so incredible about the organic acids test is the scope in which it covers. You know, it covers everything. You know, I just mentioned briefly there, uh, fatty acid metabolism. Yeah, it looks at neurotransmitter turnover. It looks at methylation. It looks every step, well, all of the intermediate steps of the citric acid cycle are all measured. And uh, you can think of that cycle as like um, a traffic circle. Oh, traffic, I just said traffic circle. I'm turning into an American. Really, I'm in roundabout. <laughs> Is that what they call uh, them there? Yeah, they call them traffic circles. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I think you can think of the citric acid cycles. So this is the way in which all cells in your body, or nearly all cells in your body, uh, produce energy. And so you can think of this like a roundabout, and the, and the traffic going around are these intermediate steps, and you can measure those. You can measure the flow rate of the traffic uh, using this organic acids test. And, and when there's a buildup of, of one particular stop, that's like kind of, you know, there's been an accident on your roundabout, and so you can figure out what's gone wrong. And it could be, like you say, it could be a missing B vitamin. Maybe the oxygen's missing. I see that all the time. Like someone that's anemic, they can't deliver the oxygen to the cell. And so all these intermediate steps of the citric acid cycle, they all back up. Like there's been an accident somewhere else on the roundabout and all the traffic is just gridlocked. And so the problem, the sort of solution is to fix the anemia rather than to worry too much about the citric acid cycle. Yeah, I mean, it covers yeast and bacterial overgrowth it's a huge test you could you could never really summarize it but um yeah it's, it's i think it's an amazing thing to be able to do that to just you know look inside of your body and find out what's going on so so with the people that come to you um i mean i imagine you have a big sort of um variety of people big scope of of clients but you were just saying before we um went online that some most of them were sort of from a um either a triathlete uh, background or endurance uh, performance background so what sort of um common things do you see um, across your client base in terms of either gut issues or hormone issues? Is it very similar to your own experience? Yeah, it is actually quite experienced. It's like the same sort of thing. So the GI issues, like everybody has gut issues. Like when you talk to, so there's something you can go Google right now. Um, maybe not if you're having your breakfast. It's called the Bristol stool chart. <laughs> and you should be sort of kind of number four or thereabouts. And this sounds kind of obvious. Like if you've ever seen this thing, it'll be really obvious to you. And, and you'll be like, what's this guy talking about? But um, to an endurance athlete, they have no clue. And, um, you know, if you ever go to one of these events, if you ever go to an Ironman uh, triathlon or even a mountain bike race, like if they just, there's always an unusually large number of porta potties there. And there's always a big line. And, um, you know, I think a lot of endurance athletes have seriously messed up digestion. And um, there's plenty of good evidence that, that that's the case for um, nearly all endurance athletes because, uh, you know, Tommy sent me some really good studies showing exactly that. So, yeah, uh, it messed up guts is like something everybody has. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's because the person's just eating the wrong, making the wrong food choices. Yeah. But then sometimes it's because they've got some kind of infection like I did, right? So if you've got a pinworm or an amoeba 
or maybe um, a bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, then, then that can cause GI complaints too. So that'd be something you'd want to get sorted out. So Chris, obviously you're, you're still quite clearly very much an endurance athlete yourself. And you, you kind of, you know, you obviously turn to this line of work due to your kind of own experience. So what were some of the big changes for you nutritionally? And I suppose more specifically, how do you sufficiently fuel your training and performance and recovery now with a much kind of more natural, dare I say, paleo uh, paleo diet? (laughs) Right. Well, I found that the paleo diet wasn't actually that helpful. And all you need is if it fits your macros, it works. (laughs) (laughs) Flexible dieting. That that is a huge change that I made. So before, um, I was eating just insane amounts of carbohydrate. Like you just wouldn't believe. I could eat like two thousand calories of pasta, no problem whatsoever. And and this is someone who's not celiac, certainly very gluten sensitive. So I just don't know what I was thinking at that time. You must have been um, single at that time. That's all I can say. I was very single at that time. (laughs) So when you say you could eat, you could eat it no problem. You meant no problem as in... Appetite-wise. Appetite-wise. <laughs> exactly, appetite-wise. Yeah. Clearly there was a problem. And then go back and eat the same again. You know, I was always hungry. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, eventually I got around to checking my blood sugar. And, and that was kind of a big aha moment. I mean, it's something I think that everybody should do, at least occasionally. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I don't like... I, I, I have a... I have a history of, of driving people slightly crazy by making them check their blood sugar. You know, it's like it's something that's very easy to get into. Once you check it once, you're like, oh, wow, that's not what I expected to see. You end, Before you know it, you're checking it 10 times a day. And yeah. maybe that's not good either. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that was a huge um, insight for me to know that I was just eating far too many carbohydrates. Even doing uh, 25 hours of exercise per week, I think I was still eating um, more than enough carbohydrate. And, uh, you know, my fasting blood glucose was up into like 120, which most doctors would agree is pre-diabetes. Wow. Um, wow. So switching just to a paleo you, diet. Sorry, it, go on. What's that in? The, I, I, we, it's different units over here. I'm oh, trying yeah. to think about it. So it's, I would, um, it's towards six minimal. Oh, really? Wow, well, okay. I, think I would need to double check that. But I believe that, yes, 120 milligrams per deciliter is, I think, approaching six minimal. So, yeah, definitely not good for fasted blood glucose. And uh, switching to a paleo diet, you know, it helped with a lot of my uh, digestive symptoms, you know, the bloating and, all, and that kind of stuff. I definitely felt better. Um, but I think that, you know, even on the paleo diet, I was still headed towards uh, diabetes just because you can still eat that amount of carbohydrates. Just now I was eating sweet potato. Actually, it was almost exclusively sweet potato, actually, because those things are completely delicious, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, nowadays um, I've been finding that um, a really high-fat uh, ketogenic diet has been working just swimmingly for me it's just amazing like um and it took me two years to get back to being as fast as i was on the bike but uh the, the advantages off the bike of just you know i can't pass that up like my ability wow. to concentrate you know my energy during the day and my sleep at night is just so much better now on, on the low carb diet so that's kind of where i stay at the moment so what what's low carb for you it's well it's ketogenic so less on a typical day i'll probably eat less than 30 grams so you don't do yeah. that because there's a safe, more of a, well, not safe ketogenic, but some people say you can go over the 50 grams but use coconut oil or MCT oil to go into ketosis. You're not doing anything like that. Yeah, I am actually. I do. I'm a big fan of uh, MCT oil. Right. And um, I, I know that pretty reliably raises my ketones by about 0.5 millimole, just a tablespoon of um, MCT oil. And, and so that you can go from zero um, to technically being in nutritional ketosis with just one tablespoon of this MCT oil. So, yeah, that's super helpful. It, you know, I probably eat a little bit too much protein to be 
um, you know, like strictly in ketosis all the time. But, you know, I, I choose not to flirt with that, you know, like restricting protein. I think that can maybe end in disaster. Yeah. So I don't go there. Well, I'd probably say the uh, the effects of having too little protein compared to too much are probably, yeah, I know which one I'd rather have. <laughs> right, especially when you're talking about, so you, you, I think you do need to be quite strict with a ketogenic diet um, with protein. Like, I, I don't really know anyone that can eat, you know, more than, say, gram per kilogram of, of body mass and, 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 you know, hit more than, say, one and a half, two millimolar of ketones. So you, you have to be quite careful and going, that's pretty low protein, you know, so I'd be mm. worried about quite catabolic at, at that stage. Yeah. Well, I think especially with uh, the kind of nature, the kind of training that someone like yourself is doing as well. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, you have to remember that all the people I'm working with are, are athletes. And that, that it, for some reason... You know, all of the guys, they seem to follow the same path. And I have to be quite specific about the gender there because it is just the guys. Um, they work with me. They do some testing. Uh, we fix some of the problems we find on the test results. And then four months later, they come back to me and say, you know, this ketosis thing is fantastic. Why didn't you tell me about this at the start? This is, you know, this is, this is amazing. Um, and it seems to be just the men. And uh, I don't know whether it's, you know, just men of a certain age or maybe men of a certain age that like to do endurance athletic stuff um I, I really don't know but I know that is what's happening yeah I don't know I'd say my experience has been really similar I don't tend to recommend it uh, as much for women but for a lot of men seem to be really interested in doing you know these adventure races and Ironman and um but I always find I have to do a lot of gut work with them first before I even a lot of them are reading about ketogenic diets for for endurance and have a little go and don't feel so great. And I have to explain, well, firstly, it's a very slow transition over. You can't just one day go, I'm just going to have MCT oil instead of pasta and <laughs> jump on the bike. Right. <laughs> but the next, oh, yeah. but with some of them, I've really had to work on their um, gut health to make sure they can actually um, be become fat adapted as well. And I was just going to ask you, in terms of, you said it took you a couple of years were you sort of doing it step by step or was it just sort of literally self-experimentation or oh, I'm just going to drop my carbs a little bit more and see what happens or, or did you make that conscious decision I'm going to go into ketosis but just do it a little bit slower? Um, yeah, no, it wasn't really planned, you know. I'd, and so I had no low-carb flu. I really didn't have, you know, like a, a, a period where I felt bad. I just gradually um, decreased the amount of carbohydrate that I was consuming and, and up to the, the fat at the same time, right? So you can't restrict calories. That's going to make you feel awful no matter what you're eating if you're doing a ton of endurance training. But yes, yeah, so I just sort of gradually up the fat and over a, a process of time. And then there was definitely a point, and I can remember it was two years ago when, when Ivy was born. I was like, okay, I've really got to try this ketosis thing. And then it wasn't really a change, you know? Like when I, I said, okay, so I need to eat probably slightly less protein and, um, and, and, and to stop eating sweet potato, that wasn't really a big change for me. And, and, then, and then the ketones came up uh, fairly shortly afterwards, you know, measuring with the blood strips. So, yeah, I think that's probably the best way, you know, like it's, that's, I mean, it's brutal. I suppose it's fast, but it's brutal to like go from, if I'd have gone from that point where I could eat 2,000 calories worth of pasta in a single sitting to, so like you say, just eating MCT oil and pemmican, that would have been horrible. <laughs> and then um, do you think, um, I mean, I'm sure you're probably going to say this, this is absolutely the case, but for anyone wanting to do these you know, train for 25 hours a week or more and do some of these really, um, you know, two, three-day events. Really, ketosis is probably the only way to do it without sort of having a, a, any sort of major detrimental effects on the body. Just because it's so pro-inflammatory, it's going to, you know, it's in terms of gut health and things like that. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I have noticed that kind of anecdotally that the um, I find exercise far less inflammatory now. So whereas before, you know, on the high carb approach, I would do a training ride and it would leave me uh, sort of couch bound for the rest of the day in a kind of, you know, that kind of sort of just ball of inflamed mess that's not unlike <laughs> being slightly sick. Yeah. Um, and, and now I don't get that at all. And, and, and certainly I'm going to do the BC bike race again this year. Um, that seven-day stage race, and um, we drive up in our little Eurovan at my, my wife, and uh, she does a. I, I've heard, I should probably thank her before I go any further because I don't do any of the cooking. I'm talking about food and all this stuff like I did it all myself, but really it's her that's doing you know, all the planning, all the cooking, all the preparation, and, and, and all the inspiration for what what we eat. And um, that's a so, lot yeah, of work as well to do ketogenic for oh, someone yeah. for someone oh, yeah. who's doing your. She does your... it too. Actually, we all eat the same. Um, oh, my wow. daughter eats more carbs, um, but but my my wife is doing great. Um, on a ketogenic diet too and um yeah so um it's going to be great i think this time for the for the bc bike race just because it's a pain have you ever tried to cook sweet potatoes in a camper van it's like not that much fun <laughs> it's not much fun to carry them it's not that much fun you know whereas mct oil like that's like a whole stage race worth of mct oil right there in that one bottle probably more than easy, it's easy. so efficient so, I mean, so what would you do on, like, let's say you're embarking on one of your crazy four-hour rides. What what would you have during that? Would, would you um, just have yeah, water or aminos or...? Yeah, so that's um, kind of... I was talking to a guy in Belgium yesterday and um, he, he, he asked me that exact same question and um, it, it was another, like, instance. You know, I had this kind of joke that there's a puff of smoke where the, the person once was. You know, it just, like, hangs up Skype when you say that you don't eat anything at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really what I do. You know, I do... You know, I have some little hacks that I, I like to use. I think they make a difference. I have some um, essential amino acid tablets that, and I just throw those into my back pocket of my jersey and I take five of those per hour... Um, and it sounds kind of gross, but it's actually very easy to swallow five of these tablets at once. So it's not that big of a deal yeah, yeah. To, to take those during an endurance ride. And, and the idea is that, you know, there's some cells in your body, uh, notably red blood cells, and then some neurons are too small to contain mitochondria to produce energy with oxygen. So your body needs glucose all of the time, whether you like it or not, whether you're in ketosis or not. And so that glucose is going to be manufactured by your liver from protein. And that pro protein will probably be the amino acid alanine that's been liberated from your muscles uh, by the catecholamine hormones. Um, so endurance exercise in a ketogenic state, I think, is probably quite catabolic. And mm -hmm. my hope is by taking these uh, essential amino acids during endurance that I will prevent some of that catabolism. And very anecdotally, I do notice a decrease in muscle soreness. Like you shouldn't really be feeling, you shouldn't get sore legs after endurance exercise, I don't think. And, and if, if you do, then um, that's kind of a sign that you're breaking down too much. So, um, yeah, it, it helped. The, the aminos helped for that. But other than that, it's just plain water. And do you ever add any, like, any salt of any kind? Electrolytes or anything? Electrolytes, yeah. You know, I, it, I just, I've never, like, felt the need to do that. Like, I, I talked to, um, you know, some experts. So, for example, Steve Finney, I had a kind of conversation on email with him when I first started all this thing. And one of the things I noticed was my... Um, my heart rate increased uh, for the same given intensity, and he says, "Well, you've probably lost some of your, you've lost some plasma volume, and, and so if you drink, if you take some salt and drink some water uh, 30 minutes before um, you start your exercise, then you'll hopefully replace some of that plasma volume, and then your heart, you know, it won't have to beat so fast to get the same oxygen deliverability, and it made." Absolutely no difference. Oh, really? <laughs> no and, um, you know, I've noticed, I mean, that, so that went away eventually from training. Like, my heart rate's now about the same 
at any given intensity. But I noticed I got 10 extra beats on my maximum heart rate. So my maximum heart rate went from like 182, and now I've seen 193. And that's like, and now I'm five years older. So that's like totally goes against what anyone would expect. So there's yeah. definitely something weird going on with the ketogenic diet and the way it affects uh, you know, plasma volume and heart rate and maybe sensitivity to some of the neurotransmitters. I love how geeky you are about it all. I think that's really cool. Just... <laughs> I, know, kind of like, I mean, I'm kind of used to that anyway with, uh, you know, with computer science. It was almost that kind of, and, and that's the, these are the type of people I love to work with. Like my yeah. ideal client is an engineer who's just been given the wrong information. And then you just point them gently, you know, you do run a couple of tests on them, run a blood chemistry, you point them gently in, in, the, in the right direction. And of course, they're incredible critical thinkers. They don't really need a lot of help thinking from me. And then, and then they come back two weeks later and, and, and they know more about, you know, whatever problem they had, then, then I probably ever will because it's their problem and nobody cares about it more than they do. It's, really, it's just fantastic. That's kind of how this thing works. That's how Nourish Balance Thrive works. Do you know what? It's funny. I've got a couple of clients that I'm thinking I'm going to recommend uh, uh, that your services to them because they do love doing things like Iron Man and things like that. But you're exactly right. They, they are the type of people that I've run some tests on them and but the next time I speak, they've been online and done various seminars and webinars about the test right. results themselves. <laughs> and they're telling me what they're going to do next I'm like, okay, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> no, and I think this is a huge, you know, so we know that um, the traditional model, this kind of doctor-patient model, and I'm sure there'll be some doctors listening to this who are absolutely horrified by this idea, but it's really not working. This idea of, you know, I'm the doctor, these are your test results, I'm going to hold them real close to my chest, and then I'm going to hand you a prescription, and uh, you're going to take the prescription, and everything's going to work. And it's not working. Like, that system is broken. It just doesn't work. And like I say, nobody cares more about this problem than you do. And so I think it makes sense for you to like try and get involved and understand your test results yeah. and then make some decisions for yourself rather than just the decisions that were made for you by your doctor. Because apart from anything else, there's just not enough doctors to go around. That's the real problem is they, they don't have enough time to spend with yeah. people, even if they wanted to. So, Chris, because um, I can imagine, like, because even I'm listening to this, um, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't do endurance uh, exercise. I mean, I do train quite hard, but I, I wouldn't place it in the endurance category. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. but um, even today, for example, I mean, I've done a I've done a boxing session, and boxing's pretty pretty hard graft. I just found that water itself just wasn't quite cutting it, and I just was like, God, I need some sugar. I need to have some carbs in me, and I just um, I ended up just having like a Lucozade just to kind of get some glucose in the system. But whilst me personally, I I, I can do quite well on. In all honesty, I I don't think I've ever fully tapped into ketosis no um, i've definitely i'm okay i do <laughs> I, I've, well, well i did attempt it yeah. but I, what i got wrong is what you mentioned earlier and i think my protein was way too high yeah. um to kind of actually get into ketosis but even with reduced carbohydrates and not being in full ketosis um i could i i, I felt really good on that but then equally, if I time my carbohydrates, I also feel incredibly good on that. And actually, the style of training I do at the moment, um, and I've spoken to people about this before, is um, I started upping my carbohydrates around my workout window and actually got really good results from that. Um, and of course, everybody's different. So I suppose my question is, is of course, with all the people that you work with, when you, when you run tests on them, and you know, and whatever endurance act, uh, sport they might come from, like, do you prescribe 
um, a, a ketogenic diet to all of them or do you know what kind of things on their test might you know might you think well actually I don't think these guys would do too well on ketogenic and we want to keep their carbs up etc I mean does that make sense or have I yeah that makes sense What's yeah no no I, I understand the question um and, and so the answer is I don't recommend ketosis at all like when I do the diet and lifestyle coaching with people you know I talk about blood sugar Quite a lot of the masters athletes I work with are like I was. They're headed towards diabetes, and they need to turn that ship around. But I don't ever talk about, um, you know, keep the ketogenic diet uh, being the goal, right? It's yeah. just kind of, you know, I, the same as you. It's nutrient density. It's the it's the paleo diet. It's, it's possibly the autoimmune protocol. And if people do ask about ketosis, I, I normally recommend that they they kind of save that for later. You know, like let's let's try that later. And um, yeah, for sure. I mean, so. The, the ketogenic diet and, and burning fat and all that, it works great for riding mountain bikes, but um, boxing, I mean, surely that's, you know, extremely glycogen. In fact, I know it is. So I used to do some kickboxing when I was 17. And, I mean, can you think of anything more explosive and glycolytic than boxing? Like, possibly no, exactly. powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the reason I'm saying this is because um, to, to burn fat inside of the mitochondria, like we talked about on the organic acids test, that requires oxygen and... Um, that you get to a point where you're trying to create so much energy that um, you can't deliver the oxygen quickly enough. And, and so you must fall back onto glycolysis, so that's so burning sugar. And so if, if your activity consists pretty much entirely of, of, of the glycolytic, then it kind of makes sense to me to, to eat some more carbs. And, and you're probably also um, depleting glycogen. Like how long do you think it, like if you're sparring for a couple of minutes, like how long do you think it takes you to completely deplete the glycogen in, in, in several of your muscles? Like probably not very long, right? Yeah, well, I suppose when you, especially when you're working with the upper body, you know, yeah. what, you know, the, the muscles are a hell of a lot smaller than, than, than your legs, you know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, you're going to completely deplete glycogen. And so if you drink that bottle of glucosate, I mean, that's just going to go straight up into the, you know, into, into the muscle without any any interaction with insulin or anything surely i mean that's kind of it's very different so you're you're, you're using um you're using carbohydrate the way it was supposed to be used right so you, you consume it once you're actually depleted of it rather than just um relying on insulin to yeah. shove it into some cell somewhere yeah do you think then um but but could matt do something like ketogenic and still train um still do some things like boxing or is it a, a bit of a no-no because i think <laughs> this is, uh, basically his gut health is in pieces at the moment <laughs> and I really want him yeah that's because to... I'm eating too much ice cream <laughs> <laughs> I really want him to do a, I've done gut protocols with him before and he hates it because he hates carrying loads of pills around and he hates uh, not training and you know not being able to do the training he likes to do so at some point we need to try and find some middle ground I'm thinking I might hand him over to you <laughs> as a client <laughs> You're gonna buy yeah, me a load of like tests thing, for you know, with Tommy, with Tommy and I, just after this call, Tommy and I are gonna sit down and, and look at some test results. So yeah, we could do that, get some testing done, and then Tommy and I'll look at them. That's, that that's, would be a, that's quite a cool idea, actually, because yeah. that in itself would be a pretty you interesting. You can do it, as a, do it as a podcast. A whole podcast talking about me. I love it. <laughs> Honestly, I can't sleep at the moment. His wind is so bad that it wakes me up in the night. That's how bad it is. Just, oh, yeah, just, that's, just that's to fill you in. You, you're, you're forever shaming me on my wind. <laughs> I know. It's, it's not normal. Anyway, <laughs> you had a question. Sorry, Mark. I did have but a yeah, question. Yeah, no, I have, seen, I have seen some other people um, who do, like, very glycolytic sports. So there's a guy that's been on my podcast um, who has type 1 diabetes, and he's been eating a ketogenic diet, and he's a really competitive swimmer. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, he, th those races are so short. Like, they surely must be glycolytic, and yet he still performs better on a, uh, on a ketogenic diet 
And I think part of that is because, um, you know, he'll do several competitions in the same day. And, and maybe that's true to a certain extent with boxing. I suppose if you go into a boxing ring and somebody just knocks you out straight away, then who cares whether you were depleted of glycogen? <laughs> <laughs> if it goes a full 10 rounds or something, then maybe that would start to become relevant towards the end of the race, you know, that you still had a little bit of glycogen left and uh, the other guy is just totally done. And when um, we watched um, Ben Greenfield talk when we were over in the States and he was saying that when he did, um, he did some of his adventure racing um, in ketosis and he was using things like organ meats, um, he said that he, he couldn't get by each week without at least three or four servings. Is there anything that you do um, specifically with your nutrition to support yourself other than obviously being in a ketogenic state all the time? Any sort of things that you make sure you have? Um, yeah, for sure. So I'm kind of, you know, I, I watch and read a lot more stuff than um, my wife does. And um, she's not a huge fan of organ meat, although she will eat it and she does cook it occasionally. I, and, but I'm sort of at the point where I was like, kind of, I've heard so many good things about that stuff. Like, it's really all I want to eat. So, yeah, I, I consume a lot of bone broth. We make that every day. Awesome. And uh, there's a company here in the U.S. called U.S. Wellness Meats that makes these um, pretty awesome, um, like, uh, organ meat sausages. So it's like, like liverwurst. You can probably get It's like the butchers in the U.K. are much better than they are in the U.S. And I bet you can get liverwurst and uh, head cheese and kind of all these some of these other weird things um, just in a, in a local butcher. And so I eat a lot of those, a lot of organ meats, um, egg yolks as well, like, you know, soft-boiled eggs, and then just, you know, like, really concentrate on the yolks and so stuff like that. Yeah, I think there's some things you can do that that make a, a ketogenic diet better than just any ketogenic diet. So, Chris, I mean, in, in our experience, whenever, because obviously you can imagine we get people uh, emailing us, Facebooking us, asking us about ketosis and, and seeing it as a, a more favourable method to, to reduce body composition. Body fat. Body fat, sorry. <laughs> improve body composition. But cause, so in our experience, very few people will come to us and say, oh, I've heard ketosis is great for improving gut health, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's normally fat loss, fat loss, fat loss. Um, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that even when you were less healthy, had a body composition body, uh, body composition issue. But was there a difference between, you know, did you start seeing a reduction in body fat um, when, you, when you transferred over to a more ketogenic diet? I, I think I, when I switched to a ketogenic diet, I saw a reduction in body everything. Um, <laughs> I have to be careful. Like I lost, I went down. So at the moment, I'm probably over 150 pounds, which is as heavy as I ever get. And um, what's that when in I first switched kilos? To, that's like oh yes, yeah, so that's like uh, 60. That's more like uh, 67, 68 kilos. I want to say. Sorry, I keep forgetting. I I'm totally turning into an American. I'm really worried about my daughter. She's just going to be like Mary Poppins. And <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I lost everything. I didn't eat. So when you restrict food choices, people tend to eat less. Right, and yeah. uh, I carried on doing the same training and was eating not enough food, by, by, for sure. And I went, I dropped down to like 139 pounds, I think was my lightest. Wow. But um, my power just totally went with it. So my power at threshold went from 350 watts to uh, 275 watts, which like wow. if that pushed me back down, like I was a pro and um, I had the license but I, I couldn't hang with those guys at all. And, it, you know, I had to put all that muscle mass back on before I could get my power back up. And so uh, lighter is, is not necessarily better, even for endurance athletes. Yeah. And if you're doing triathlon, or even if you live in the UK, there's no there's no hills, unless you live in Wales or Scotland, there's no hills in, in, in England, right? So <laughs> I, I, I don't think it like it pays to be that light. So do you still track, do you track calories then? No, hell no. Not no, now? I mean, I mean, you must find that with with uh, with your clients as well that it doesn't 
know, like tracking calories can be something that's useful to do uh, maybe now and again, just to, to have a look, like if yeah, you've got a reason check to. In. Mm. Um, but just, you know, mindlessly tracking everything you eat, I think it's, uh, it's a terrible mistake. You know, life is too yeah. short for that. I mean, we're, we're, we're definitely in the same kind of camp there. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we do work with some clients that, you know, they're numbers people. They like to see it in front of them and they, they love all of that and putting right. together spreadsheets and whatnot. And if that's the case, then we'll go with it. But we definitely try and push the whole, you know, just focus on finding what works for you, not having to just calculate everything every day. But um, what, are the, what are the tests then that you'd run on yourself um, on a regular basis just to check in and, and make sure everything was okay? Um, so definitely the urinary organic acids test, I think is an awesome test. I do those periodically. The test that I run most often at the moment, actually, um, is a basic blood chemistry. And so this is something that everybody has access to. I don't care where you are in the world right now, you have access to blood chemistry. And, you know, you hear people talk about a lot of uh, fancy markers on uh, the podcast, you know, people who talk about insulin and C-peptide and hemoglobin A1C and all these kind of fancy uh, markers. But um, you know, just a basic blood chemistry. So uh, usually people call this uh, a complete blood cell count. And uh, also there's the comprehensive wellness panel or profile. And so these are... These are the, the, the collection of markers that will be on every blood test, basically. And uh, so you can go to your GP and get this test done. And um, there's information there. Like you can, you know, looking at your fasted blood glucose and uh, your liver enzymes, ALT and AST, that, that can tell you, and your triglycerides as well, that can tell you something about your ability to regulate your blood sugar and uh, maybe even be predictive of the um, the size and density of your LDL particles on a, on a lipid panel on a much more expensive test. And um, and then certainly for the endurance athletes, the, the complete blood cell count, like the, the size of your red blood cell and how much hemoglobin they contain and how much hemoglobin you have total, that's going to be very predictive of your uh, exercise performance. So, you know, you can get these tests in the, in the US for, for 35 bucks. So, you know, I, I would do one of those, like, I mean, every every few months even. You get them actually over in the UK. Most of them to get them from their GP, uh, and including things like um, some will even do things like fasted insulin and vitamin D as well, which is um, amazing to have that information. And if um, and people send those to you, would you sit and go through them? Do you is that sort of how you work, or do you tend to get people going through more of a coherent program with you guys? So it's no. You know, we're very incoherent. Everybody's different, it seems. Which is, um, it's not great for running a profitable business, but it seems to get the best results, and, and that's what I care about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the moment we're running this program, I'm running a program with, with, with Tommy Woods uh, called OT Boost, and, and, and the idea is you order a, a blood chemistry and optionally the organic acids through us, and, um, and then the results come back to me electronically, and then I have some software that's it's pretty cool. Um, it just defines some really tight limits around the reference ranges. So one of the problems with blood tests is the reference ranges are just averages, They're just two standard deviations either side of the mean. Yeah. And of course, more sick people go to the doctor than healthy people do. And so then you've got this problem of like, well, what the heck does the reference range even mean? Um, so I, I run the chemistry through my software and then we send you a written report. And then Tommy and I sit down and we look at the results. I'm like, okay, this guy probably could use some more B12 or folate, you know, just as a random example. And then once we've done the analysis, then I get the person back on Skype. We figure out what they can do to fix some of the problems we found on the test results. That's awesome. Love that. That's really cool. We're going to do that. You can do you can do us two first. <laughs> yeah, send me your blood chemistry. And, you know, it's even um, it's actually you know I know that you know say you've got a problem you can't get to your GP or the, your GP doesn't want to know about um, running a blood test test just to help you. Um, you can order the, the test through me, and then I use this company in the UK. 
and um, they send you a home collection kit. And uh, so the way it works is you just prick your finger with a lancet and uh, just collect a few drops of blood into a little tiny, teeny, tiny little vial. And then you send it to the lab using FedEx. And uh, it's exactly the same machine. They just don't need, like you probably like question that at some point, right? You go and get uh, 12 blood tests done and they draw 12 vials of blood and they all look you know, like a big test tube, and you're like, did you really need that much blood to find out how many <laughs> yeah. of glucose are in there? You know, like, it's a, it's a bit weird. So, yeah, the answer is no, they don't really need that much blood anymore, and it's not clear to me why they're... I think it's more to do with licensing, and in the US, it's the FDA approval and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you don't really need to collect that much blood. And in the UK, the, the technology actually seems to be further along than it is in the US. That's awesome. I'd also recommend it to anyone over the age of 50, because um, I've got a lot of clients who come to me just because there's so many headlines at the moment about heart disease and cancer and they just want to know they want things checked so um i would imagine it's, it's just a really useful thing to start having done then because i know the advice they're getting from a gp on cholesterol is probably not going to be <laughs> that useful at this point in time yeah and you know I, yeah i would again i would maybe you could link to this in the show notes that that tommy has discussed this on his podcast and um you know get it from that might be something that you really want to get from advice from a medical doctor at least I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear it from someone like Tommy and, and Tommy's interviewed experts and he, he has some um, a really nice presentation embedded in in the show notes of one of his podcasts that maybe we could point people at yeah definitely awesome um so Chris before we go buddy um, I'm dying to know um what does uh, what's for dinner <laughs> what, what does someone like yourself do uh, say Thanksgiving Christmas are you like a uh, out and out three six five no carb guy or do do you have the odd little carb blowout cheat day do you know like on um, um bonfire night and you keep your dog inside to keep it away from the fire <laughs> <laughs> that's me like julie just shuts me away in an airing cupboard somewhere and she says all right okay i'll see i'll see you on january the second oh that's hilarious. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I'm really lucky. So, um, you know, my whole extended family have had uh, really good results on, on the paleo diet. So I live here in Santa Cruz and, and Judy's family are local and, and, and they're totally on board. So um, they're both fant- all fantastic cooks. So it's, it's always paleo. Uh, but yeah, so um, to, to the carbohydrate question. Yeah, I don't I don't think I mean, what do you think? Like, so the ketogenic diet is a diet that mimics starvation in some way. And um, you know, it's a hack. It allows us to survive starvation and it has some really nice benefits. Um, but do you think it's a good idea to constantly be in this state which mimics starvation? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think the answer to that question is yes. So um, no. I don't fear carbs. You know, something like Thanksgiving or Christmas comes up and there's a bunch of carbs there. I'm just going to eat a bunch of carbs. And, I, I've, you know, before, if you're diabetic, you can't do this. Don't listen to this advice. This is terrible, terrible advice. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I check my blood sugar regularly and I really don't have a problem with it anymore. Um, so I think I can get away with that. And I think I was going to say for what you're doing in terms of, you know, as in the exercise, the performance stuff, it's it's just it's just the right thing for you to do at this point in time. And actually, from what I've seen, um, as we get older, generally heading towards high fat, low carb, you know, because you become slightly more insulin resistant is, is a really wise move. But I think what you're doing is is another level. Some people just don't have it in them, do they? No. I don't think Matt's got it in him for a start. <laughs> Give up, <laughs> <laughs> well, Give no, up I, ice cream. But, and <laughs> But I think this is what I like about um, your approach, Chris, and even just speaking to you for this last hour, like you very much kind of found something that really works for you. And mm-hmm. I was, I, I really liked the fact that when I asked you what your approach was with other people, that you were just like, well, actually, you know what? I don't push this onto people at all. Um, I very much might, you know, cover that much further down the line, but that's not my priority initially because, 
you know, let's face it, there are a lot of people out there in, in our industry who find something that works for them and then think it's the only way forward for every other person in the world. And that frustrates me massively. Um, so I think it's awesome, yeah, that you found something that works for you and you've kind of done your research and, and got amazing results. And, you know, you, but you're more than happy to keep an open mind with everybody else. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's the only way that I came undone in the past was by having a closed mind, right? So before, I'm sure like you at one point in your life, like you've been ultra low fat thinking that was the solution. Yeah. And um, not being willing to consider uh, saturated fat as something that might yeah. be helpful in our diets is uh, was a terrible mistake. And you know, somebody at the developer conference um, a couple of weeks ago, they said to me, I said, what are you going to do if they find out that saturated fat is actually bad after all? And uh, the answer is I'll spin on a fucking dime. You know, I'll make another decision. I'm just yeah. going to keep on top of it and just stay open-minded. It was interesting. I got that question, actually, when we wrote our first book. Someone said, so if it was wrong the first time around, how do you not know that it's wrong again? And I was like, oh, God. But you could ask that about absolutely anything. Yeah, we, we always we do evolve. As soon as I, I'm sort of, you know, pretty convinced on something, we'll always evolve our approach. But equally, I was like, well, actually, the science was never there in the first place to say that this was bad. Yeah, for us, that's so very, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to... That's not, very true. <laughs> and actually... Um, like you, I'm seeing more um, studies on how therapeutic ketosis can be for also things like cancer and, and, and other metabolic disorders. So I, I really think there's there's going to be a lot of mileage in it. How long do you sure. think? Well, I mean, um, it's so exciting. Um, I just interviewed uh, Travis Christofferson. I have a podcast and I interviewed Travis Christofferson. He's the author of uh, Tripping Over the Truth, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer. That's on my and, shelf uh, Travis, to be read over Christmas. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it's my oh, Christmas yeah, it's reading. A, it's an amazing book. <laughs> is it? Travis, so I, I don't know if you know Dominic D'Agostino. Dominic described uh, Travis as one of the most talented writers he's ever read. Oh, really? Wow. And Dominic is, is very well read. And uh, together they're, they're authoring a new book at the moment, but... Um, yeah, Travis is a very talented writer, and he's, he's also a biochemist as well. He's very technical, but the sto- the book is like a, a series of, of stories all weaved together. So, yeah, that's a really good read. It won't take you long to get through that over Christmas, I can promise you. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, we, we get, um, I'm getting more and more um, queries just about a ketogenic diet for cancer, and it's something I've been a bit like, I need to know more before I even delve into it. But hopefully your good wife is going to do a really good cookbook that I can then start recommending as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an idea, isn't it? Someone yeah. needs to and do I a good cookbook. Yeah, I mean, you should. I, we need more people to respond to those questions, right? I think there's something there with this metabolic theory of cancer and the ketogenic diet, and yeah, we need more practitioners that can help people with their diet to to, to achieve this goal. Yeah, there absolutely. you go. There's a add that to your 2016 goals. <laughs> I thought that was going to be 2016 list of things, list of to, do. things to do. <laughs> Cure cancer. Just put that on there. <laughs> so, Chris, before we go, this is just because uh, I found this hugely interesting, buddy. Thank you so much. Um, how long typically, if someone wanted to, let's say, have a stab at this whole uh, ketogenic thing? <laughs> this is a hypothetical question. Isn't it? Um, yeah, a friend of mine said, uh, <laughs> um, how long... I mean, I, I know you can't put a, a number on this, but uh, how long would it take someone typically to get into ketosis if they're doing things right? Yeah, I really can't answer that question. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, it really depends on where you're starting from. Fair enough. Um, I thought that's what you'd say. So, yeah. So, 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 so take, for example, the people I work with. Usually what happens is, you know, Judy's been nudging them towards high fat very gently for the last few weeks. Um, you know, so maybe they're getting 60% of their energy from fat. And uh, then they go through a program with me. Maybe they take some supplements. And then suddenly they just call me up and say, you know what, I'm in ketosis. I measured my ketones and I'm in ketosis. And I wasn't even really planning this. 
Whereas, you know, someone who's already eating a high-carb diet, uh, you know, that could take much longer. And I know that Volok and Finney in their books, they suggest that you just rip that Band-Aid off. You know, you just, like, dive into it and feel like yeah. for a few days. Just right um, out. It's, it's worth it. Um, so, yeah, sorry, it really depends on the person. No, no, fair enough, fair enough. I did think that's what you'd say, but uh, I thought I'd ask the question. So, Chris, thank you so much, buddy. This has been absolutely awesome. Yeah, uh, we, we've overrun on time, but I kind of knew we would. Um, not that anybody that we've done a shorter podcast with should take that personally, that if it's a shorter podcast, we're not as interested, <laughs> <laughs> just to clarify. Um, but, no, I mean, I think it'd be awesome to have you on the show again because I think there's so much more stuff we could we could dis- yeah, discuss for sure. Definitely. Um, but, Chris, before you go, buddy, uh, you mentioned you've got a podcast. Where, where, What's the podcast called for people to, to check out? Oh, the podcast is called the same name as, as my, my business, Nourish, Balance, Thrive. Uh, so you can come to nourishbalancethrive.com. And, uh, and then the O2 Boost program, um, that's the, the blood test and the organic acids test that I'm, I'm doing with Tommy. You can come to o2boost.nourishbalancethrive.com. Excellent, excellent. Um, and you got any, any social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, we do. We, I try to do all of that. I mean, I, I yeah, a it's little a bit of Facebook, isn't it? but I'm, I'm not, I'm not the social media queen by any stretch. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I really struggled to get my head around it as well. I mean, I, I just just started to feel like I was getting somewhere with Facebook, and then it was like, oh no, no, Instagram's the way forward. And I was like, oh god. And yeah, then, I and know. then you forget about Twitter, and people are like, why don't you tweet? And I'm like, oh, it's a bit easier, is a real minefield. But uh, but awesome, yeah. So guys, check it out for sure, um, and by all means check out the tests and I'm sure if uh, you email Chris or message him he'll be happy to answer any questions uh, guys thank you for listening um, any questions about this episode get in touch with us or Chris share it leave a review um, you know spread the fit of food love get it out there and we will see you over in episode number 67 guys take care bye